you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by two very special guests. We've got Hans and Donata. They're from Termageddon. That's T-E-R-M-A-G-E-D-D-O-N.com, which helps you stay compliant with your terms and conditions and privacy policy. Super important, whether you're building a website for yourself or you're, you're a WordPress professional that creates websites for clients. We're going to geek out on some legal, some privacy, some terms issues, and demystify and help help find a way forward. Welcome back to LMS Cast, you two. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'd imagine everyone listening couldn't be more excited to learn about website <laughs> policies today. So, I think I think you guys make it fun, and it is actually super important. I remember the first time I uh, had to create a privacy policy or a terms and conditions. I, I went to like a famous internet person that, that I was sure followed, had a lawyer and just kind of modeled theirs or whatever, but that's not the way to do it. Um, I guess before we dig into the, the details, what is Termageddon? And, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of tour around these, is- these issues of legality and, and privacy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably good uh, being the uh, husband to an attorney. I will, do want to note, please note, nothing in this uh, podcast will be for uh, legal purposes. It's not legal advice. Always speak to your attorney before you make any legal decisions. Um, so Termageddon is a website policies generator. So what's special about our tool is kind of like two things, in my opinion. Number one, it's a, it's a series of questions to help you identify the laws that apply to you specifically. And then the questionnaire adapts to provide the disclosures you specifically are required to make under your own policies. You then, after you generate your codes with Termageddon, you copy and paste our codes into your website. And that's what allows us to push updates whenever new disclosures become required. A lot of people are surprised to hear that additional updates need to be made to a privacy policy, but that's simply the world we live in. Um, Three days ago at the time of this recording, yet another state passed a US privacy law that could require website owners to make new disclosures in their privacy policy. So I like to think of Termageddon as a a strategy to keeping your policies up to date over time with newly required disclosures, helping you avoid fines or lawsuits. So if somebody's a a course creator or coach or we're building a site for a client like that. And let's say they're teaching online yoga. What, and they're not a law that they're not a lawyer. They know they need to have this on the bottom of their website. Um, what's the most important things for them to know about to do it successfully? Sure. Um, so the first thing that's really important to know, and Hans kind of alluded to this a little bit is that your policy needs to be based on the privacy laws that apply to you. And that's because each privacy law has its own set of disclosures that it requires privacy policies to make that are usually different from other privacy laws. So if you're buying a template or something like that, it's not going to be compliant because it's not based on those laws. And also don't assume that, you know, if you get a template that's GDPR compliant, that you're automatically compliant with other privacy laws because those disclosures are different. So for example, um, one of California's privacy laws, CalOPA, requires you to disclose how your website responds to do not track signals. 
and GDPR doesn't require that disclosure. So your GDPR template won't comply with other laws. And then second, um, you want to make sure that your privacy policy is accurate to your actual business and privacy practices. So Chris, like you said, like the first time that you had to create a privacy policy, you went on somebody else's website and kind of copied and pasted it and adjusted it. You know, if you do that copy and paste method, that policy will be based on their privacy practices, which means that it won't be accurate to yours, which means that it won't be compliant. And you're not alone, Chris. For the record, prior to marrying Donata, I used to copy and paste privacy policies whenever my clients would ask. So you're, you're not alone. I assure you this is a global trend. And it's a trend that I think is decreasing over time because people are seeing changes in privacy. And I think it's good to you know take that yoga example and kind of share some insights, which is that people's personal information is what's being regulated under these privacy laws. So what it means is governments all over the world are regulating data like this to protect their people's data. What that means is there are certain people around this world who have a right to owning their name, their email address, their phone number. That is their property and business owners have to respect that. So if you have a website offering virtual yoga classes, I would imagine they would welcome business across state lines. Um, not all, every, not everyone in those examples, but I'd imagine a lot do. And therefore, since you're collecting personal information from across state lines, either when people register or make a purchase or just submit an inquiry, or just if you're collecting IP address behind the scenes for analytics or security purposes, you need to find out if those people have privacy rights and if those laws apply to you. Um, because only then can you find out what disclosures you are required by law to make in your policy. Yeah, and you don't have to be located in those states or those countries for those laws to apply to you. So, for example, we're located in Chicago, right? We're not in Canada. But because we collect the personal information of residents of Canada, Canada's privacy law pipetta still applies to us, even if we were not located there and we never actually set foot in Canada. So can you speak a little more to the whole jurisdiction or location thing? If uh, let's say we're in the United States, mm -hmm. there's the states of the United States and then there's other countries. How do we think about being, and we want to sell our, our courses and coaching programs and, and online learning all over the world. How do we think about, it seems a little overwhelming to be compliant everywhere. What do we need to actually worry about the most? Or do we need to be compliant in every country in the world? So no one is compliant with every country in the world. Um, even companies that have billions and billions of dollars in resources are not compliant with every privacy law that's ever been passed. Um, so I don't think we need to think about it that way. I think we really need to think about whose information are we collecting? So like who's submitting forms on the website? Who's being tracked through analytics or similar services? And where we're doing business? So again, going back to the yoga studio, Let's say I have Stripe and I can see that 50% of my customers come from the United States, 25% come from Australia, and 25% come from the UK. Well, I can clearly know that I'm doing business in those areas because I'm receiving transactions from there. So I should make sure that I'm compliant with those laws, at least to begin with. And I think when it comes with jurisdiction, a lot of people are confused about that because they think, well, I've never been to uh, California, let's say right? Why would their privacy law apply to me? Or how could they get to me if I'm located in Chicago and not in California? Well, when you're doing business in sta certain states, so for example, I have transactions with consumers from California, or I'm targeting those residents, or I'm 
keeping their personal information, things like that, I'm actually interacting with that state. And that's sufficient to provide jurisdiction because if you have revenue from that state or you have visitors from that state, that's sufficient to establish a connection usually. That's awesome. Let's talk technicality. So somebody fills out the form so that Termageddon can figure out the right policy to generate. How does it actually end up on the WordPress website? Is it create a short code, a block or something? Like how do they get it on there? And then, and, and you're saying it stays up to date as, as you update the underlying data set? Yeah, so after you go through the questionnaires, um, each policy has its own JavaScript embed code. That's a lot of fancy talk for something you just simply copy and paste into the body of your policy pages. And that is what allows your website visitors to visit your privacy policy page on your own website. And sure enough, the privacy policy will populate. But behind the scenes, that data, that that content is coming from Termageddon. So we control what that content says. And I don't mean to sound like a control freak. You have all, you can fully customize it however you wish. Um, but why that's important is so that when new laws go into effect, like the four new laws going into effect in 46 days at the time of this recording, we are able to notify our customers of the changes, ask any new questions that need to be answered, and then push the updated disclosures directly to the client sites um, just in time for when governments can start enforcing the law. That's awesome. Let's let's talk financials in a little bit in the sense that like where I know because I've hired lawyers one on one before they can be very, very expensive, you know, many hundreds of dollars an hour and, and even more sometimes. Um, how were you guys able to f- come up with this concept of taking almost democratizing access to quality legal help guidance documents? Sure. Um, So we're not a law firm, so we don't actually provide like legal advice or anything like that, which helps us keep costs down significantly. And at least my reason for starting Termageddon is before Termageddon, I was in private practice. So I had some clients and they would get, you know, new websites being built or whatever. And they would ask me, hey, do I need a privacy policy or do I need a terms of service? And I really noticed that at that time, you know, before these new privacy laws passed, I was kind of asking them very similar questions like what data do you collect, where you do business, you know, who do you share it with, things like that. And I thought to myself, hey, there's got to be a way to automate this, because I noticed that a lot of these people that were coming to me could not afford the cost of having an attorney create their policies in the first place, much less continuously monitor privacy laws for them and keep them up to date. And I really thought it was one of those things that could be automated. Um, so that was my thought behind Termageddon. Yeah. And, um, and and I'll note, you know, for anyone listening that has the funds to hire an attorney and have them monitor privacy laws on your behalf and provide you with legal advice, nothing beats that. Like, of course, if that's in your budget and, and you can afford that with your business, go that route. Nothing beats having that. But but I would like to think of Termageddon as an excellent uh, cost-effective alternative, if that's not possible, um, because you know that's our job: monitor privacy laws, notify customers of changes, and keep policies up to date over time. And you know, we started the business seven years ago, but fast forward to today, I still remember the very first time an attorney was interested in using our service, and I was so scared. I'm like, oh my gosh, I felt like term- ter- attorneys were going to hate us. <laughs> Turns out the vast, vast majority of attorneys also don't like creating privacy policies because of how complicated it is. Um, We've had people come to us that were quoted $60,000 to comply with 12 international privacy laws, something that they can do in Termageddon in 45 minutes. And 
Um, and the attorney set a six-month turnaround. So they went with Termageddon, they got their policies drafted, and they even shared access with their attorney who reviewed it and had zero edits. Um, so um, I think like one thing that we've really appreciate, I've, I've enjoyed is that we are attorney friendly. Um, to be honest, I thought people were going to, I thought attorneys were going to hate us, but yeah, they, they like us too. So that, that's been yeah. nice. We have a lot of law firms using yeah. our service, yeah. which has been great. And, you know, if you still want to use Termageddon and a lawyer, you can do that. You can yep. create your policies with Termageddon, share the license with your lawyer, have them review it. Um, which is significantly cheaper than drafting something from scratch yeah. too. That's awesome. Let's, let's assume somebody's watching or listening to this that is newer to online business WordPress. Maybe they missed the big GDPR wave that came maybe four years ago or so. Uh, can you kind of set the stage of what that was, why it's still important? And I just want to note uh, like with a learning management system, you're definitely collecting user information. There's all kinds of their data on your website. And I just want to state that WordPress and Lifter LMS is GDPR compliant. People can disappear in the correct ways if they want to request to be removed from your platform, which was a really cool innovation. And I actually really value the, the intent behind privacy laws, even though they can be a pain to deal with. But what was the whole GDPR thing and how is it still relevant today for those that have never heard of it or kind of forgot about it? Yeah. And, and Chris, you shared a whole bunch there that I couldn't agree more with you on. And, and for anyone listening that's concerned, oh, Lifter LMS collects data uh, or my system, my Lifter LMS system collects data. Collecting data is a totally normal thing that any business, I, I can't think of an example where a business can run a business without collecting people's data. Like you got to get paid somehow, you know, so there's nothing wrong with collecting data. What's happening is people are getting privacy rights where we as business owners have a responsibility, a legal obligation to make specific disclosures within our policies to respect their privacy and comply with applicable laws. And um, although there's been privacy laws for decades now, um, what really got people kind of turned up a little bit was GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which protects the personal information of residents of the European Union or European Economic Area. And I think the reason why this caught people's attention was, well, for number one, they enforce it quite regularly. A lot of people think it's just Facebook getting fined one, what was it last week? 1.3 billion, 1.3 yeah. billion last week. Um, but actually there's one person companies being fined five figures, six figures uh, for, for non-compliance too. So I think the fact that they are enforcing it at an increasing rate um, caught people's attention, but also the broad reaching nature of, of Europe's privacy law. That privacy law, if you're, I mean, obviously if you're located in Europe and offering goods and services to people in Europe, you obviously have to comply with the law, but for people outside of that country, or outside of that continent, um, they need to, that law can apply to you the moment you start tracking or monitoring the behavior of a resident of the EU. Or offering goods or services. That's in the true. EU, yeah. But the monitoring or tracking in particular, I think has really caught people's attention because everyone's all of a sudden like, well, I have a website, like in theory, someone from Europe could come there. Do I have to comply with the law? It's like, well, if you're tracking them, yeah. And, um, that broad reaching nature is really what I think caught people's attention in the fact that people are getting privacy rights and, and now we as website owners have to deal with it. And, you know, I personally think regulations, 
I don't, I'm not a huge fan of regulations, but privacy rights are something I'm a big fan of. I do believe people deserve privacy rights. I certainly wish it was being done differently, but the reality is we as business owners just have a responsibility to respecting our website visitors' privacy rights. Yeah, and I think if I can clarify one thing about GDPR, so just because your website could accidentally, you know, through no fault of your own, be accessed by someone in Europe, that doesn't mean that GDPR applies to you. So it's only if you offer goods or services there. So let's say you offered the website in French or uh, France is one of the dropdowns on your address menu when people are entering payments or, you know, you offer a tourism service in the EU or you have like a special phone number that people from the EU could call. Um, or if you're tracking the behavior of residents of the EU and that applies with services like Google Analytics um, services like heat map tracking, um, things like that. So if you are using those services, GDPR can apply to you as well. What's a simple explanation of the difference between like what a privacy policy is? We've been talking about that a lot, but we haven't talked as much about terms and conditions. What are, how, what are, these two, what are the two jobs to be done here? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, good one. So um, a privacy policy explains to your website visitors what personal information you collect, who you share that data with, if you sell that data, and a various other um, details regarding your privacy practices of your business. So in other words, a privacy policy helps you comply with privacy laws. A terms of service, otherwise known as terms and conditions, terms, I know there's another one in there. TNC, yeah. TOS. Yeah. But terms in general explain to users the rules of using the website. So unlike privacy laws that have you disclose exactly what they tell you to disclose, a terms is more so a means to limit your liability as a website owner. So terms I like for virtually any website because you can have little statements in there like, hey, we offer links to third-party sites. We're not responsible when you click on one of those links. So if you click on that link and that site gets hacked and you get hacked, you can't come back and sue us. That one little statement is a good example of the countless statements you can add into a terms. But the reason why it's extra important for LMS systems is because terms can also explain your refund policy, your cancellation policy. If you do happen to ship anything, your shipping policy. Um, it explains the e-commerce relationship you have with the buyers um, and, explain, um, and explains to them how you run your business and what to expect if you are happy with the service or if you're not happy with the service. It also explains subscriptions. Um, so yes. there's some laws out there like California's automatic renewal law, the Federal Trade Commission's negative options offers guidance, which basically say that unless you provide certain information to a user before they sign up for a subscription, that subscription will actually be considered a gift to the user and you'll have to refund them whatever they paid you. So if your course is something where somebody pays you once a week to get the course or once a month or whatever to get the course, you wanna make sure that you have those disclosures within your terms of service regarding subscriptions, or it could be considered um, a, a violation of those particular laws and then could be considered a gift to the consumer. So you'd have to refund them and they still get the course. So just to summarize that, as simply as I can, privacy policies are to comply with privacy laws. Terms of service are to comply with consumer protection laws and to help avoid you from getting sued from your website. In terms of, that's a really good explanation. In terms <laughs> of uh, pricing, I see people get hung up on that a little bit. Like, oh, what if I'm offering a subscription? I want to reserve the right to 
change my prices even on existing customers uh what what can we, how do we think about pricing in terms of terms and conditions cuz most people change their prices over time and they they're allowed to do that but but uh, yeah what, what what would you say to that so terms of service can say that you reserve the ability to change your prices um, or to correct incorrect prices. So let's say you were putting a price on a course and you forgot to add a zero, you know, you have the right to correct that price to the right price if you make a mistake or to change your prices over time. That's not something that's unnatural or not normal in a course of business. Businesses always change their pricing or change their pricing models or the different packages that they offer. That's totally normal. You know, just make sure to notify people before you do it. Can you speak to, I see you have automatic updates and email notifications as a, uh, as a, as a type of uh, document, but I think people get hung up a little bit around email itself, like, you know, the unsubscribe laws, but what about transactional email, like a receipt email? And when do I have the right to email somebody or put them on an email list and all this kind of stuff? How does, how does email fit into all this? So it really depends on the privacy laws that apply to you. Um, so each law has different criteria for what you can email and what you can't. But generally speaking, so you have two types of email. So the first type of email is the transactional email, right? So if I create an account with someone and I want to reset my password, they have to send me an email to reset that password. Or I have a payment that's coming up, you know, they have to be able to send me my invoice, right? Those types of emails are should be separated from all other kinds of emails. And the other kinds of emails, what we would consider marketing emails, right? So those are the ones where usually you would have to get consent. Um, so under most privacy laws, you have to get consent to send email marketing to people. And what that means is, you know, having people agree to your privacy policy or having people um, and or having people select and agree to receive promotional emails. Right. And those two choices are usually separated and the user can click to agree. Um, don't do opt out. Um, so if the box is pre-checked, that's a problem because the user never actually consented. You just pre-check the box for them. So make sure that the boxes are unchecked by default um, and make sure that you are actually respecting their choice. So if they didn't opt in to receive emails, don't send them the emails. If they opted out or unsubscribed, you know, don't send them emails. Um, and all emails at the bottom should have an unsubscribe button. Um, and that button should not be hidden. So don't hide it behind a background that looks the same as the font for the unsubscribe. A lot of companies do that. Please don't do that. Um, you know, and then when somebody clicks unsubscribe, they need to be actually unsubscribed um, or taken to a page that allows them to unsubscribe and make sure that those options are very clear and easy to understand. We were... Um... We were at uh, Disney World uh, because we, we went down there for an event um, and it included tickets to Disney World. So we went there. Well, first off, they they take your fingerprint ID, which I, I find very concerning to enter a theme park. I don't feel like I need to provide my fingerprint identification. But aside from that fact, once we got done, I started receiving emails from Disney World and I unsubscribed and then I unsubscribed again and again and again. And eventually I filed a complaint with them. I was like, look, like, <laughs> please stop. Like, I, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not your demographic. Like I, I, I just happened to go there because of an event and they, and I think it was like seven days after I submitted that request, I stopped receiving the emails, but that's the type of annoyances 
that we're talking about here. You know, that's the type of stuff that no one likes. I don't think anyone loves spam emails. I, I, I have yet to meet anyone except those YouTubers who like stock spammers. I don't know if you've ever yeah, seen those. Those are, oh. Uh, yeah, like, Can I go on a tangent yeah, yeah, real yeah. quick? <laughs> Sorry. So this makes me think of something. So Google was recently fined. Uh, they settled a case for $39.9 million with the state of Washington. And this wasn't under any privacy law. This was under Washington's Consumer Protection Act, which is a consumer protection statute. And what happened was that Google continued to track people's location even after people said no. So I guess in Google accounts, and I recently read this lawsuit, which was just fascinating. In Google accounts, if you want to opt out of location tracking, there's three different places to do it. And if you turn off location history in one place, you're still being tracked on your device, even though you're not tracked on your account, which consumers did not understand. Um, so basically, they got fined for violating the consumer protection statute for continuing to track people even after they said they don't want to be tracked. And I think the same thing can be applied to email marketing. You know, if people want to unsubscribe, they shouldn't have to go to three different places to unsubscribe. Right. It should just be one place. And then once you unsubscribe, you don't get the emails anymore. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. For the record, everyone, there's nothing wrong with sending emails. Sending relevant emails are great and valuable. You know, uh, what we're talking about here is just making sure you send emails to people who've opted in and asked to receive emails. I mean, not to mention those are probably your higher caliber customers or leads in the first place. So yeah. something to take into consideration. There's a funny thing that I see happen in the, the subject matter expert uh, industry, particularly in certain niches like finance, health and fitness type stuff where like at the beginning of this show, we gave a legal disclaimer, like none of this is legal advice. Um, there's a lot of like health coaching on the internet now, but a health coach, my understanding of it is they can offer advice and experience, but they can't prescribe anything. There's like certain nuances to mm -hmm. like what constitutes, uh, you know, what's governed by the medical laws or whatever. And the same, like in finance, like if you want to learn about investing or you watch investing YouTube channels, they're constantly saying this is not financial advice, consult your financial advisor. The funny thing about it is some of the best people are the most concerned with that stuff. The people that are the really good, you know, finance wizards or uh, health advocates that just don't want to end up in a legal mess or whatever. Yeah. Do you have any general advice here? Yeah. The, yeah. the Federal Trade Commission is increasingly cracking down on this type of stuff because there's been a lot of consumers that have been harmed by wrong or, or incorrect advice or, you know, things that people told them to do that didn't work for their situation. So I think they're trying to avoid that Federal Trade Commission enforcement. But I think they're also trying to avoid being mistrusted by their audience because when they provide that disclaimer, to me that says, hey, this is a person that has thought about this. Yep. This is a person that knows that not all advice is applicable to all people. Yep, and this exactly. is a person that, that takes this seriously. And I think that helps establish trust with their audience as well, at least for me. Maybe I'm different because I'm a lawyer and Hans, you have like a different opinion no, on this? No, I, I completely agree. When I see someone give a disclaimer, I actually am already off to like, okay, I, this person's at some level of professionalism already. And then, you know, I, I, I hear them out, but 
Um, the reality is, we, you know, things, it, especially with like live podcasts, something could be shared that was not 100% like the most accurate statement and people could misinterpret it and then go do something that harms themselves or their business. And, and that's the type of stuff I think experts try to avoid uh, from misconstruing, like having people think, oh, I now understand everything about every privacy law under the sun, for example, like that's impossible to do in one hour. Yeah, because every <laughs> single piece of advice doesn't work for every single person. Like if we say, hey, you need to be compliant with GDPR. Yeah, that applies to mostly everyone. But what if you don't need to comply yeah. with GDPR? Like the law doesn't apply to you. Well, then that doesn't apply to you, right? So or the I think fact that uh, CPRA under certain circumstances require you to have a toll-free telephone number to opt out of the sale of information. Like that one little detail, it's super required for the people who are required to disclose it. But if it doesn't apply to you, why stress the person out and having to go get a retail phone number? Yeah, exactly. Know? For somebody who's just starting out, let's say the financial resources are tight or we're just they're trying to side hustle an online course or coaching program and it's not really proven yet. So they don't want to hire a big lawyer or anything, uh, but they do want to be compliant from day one. So they get, go to Termageddon, they get their privacy policy and their terms and conditions up. Where, where else can they go to, to get just a general, to level up their understanding of the legal stuff? Because it feels like it's all over the place. Like the FTCs over here, the um, state laws are over here. Like I just see it a lot where like, let's say I'm a yoga expert or uh, I'm a math teacher and I have no background in business or law or whatever, but, I, uh, but I'm concerned. Yeah. So not like where where do I start just to make sure I can launch and not be worried like I'm making some huge legal problem. Yeah. So if you've decided that look, I can't. I, I want an attorney, but I can't afford them right now. I'm just too early. And you've decided, okay, I'm going to sacrifice legal advice and use a tool like Termageddon. Um, I would make sure you're selecting a privacy policy generator that's um, very focused. I guess on on providing comprehensive policies. Um, um, you know, look up the background, who's behind the company. Do they often talk about what's happening and changes in privacy law? Are they active on social? Are they providing free assets and free material to, to review? Um, so our blog, for example, is a great resource. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier in this call, but Montana passed their privacy law three days ago. We had the compliance guide up that day um, because we've been monitoring it since its beginnings. Um, yeah, we have a lot of compliance guides that kind of break down the basics of each law, which can be very helpful. And then we also dive deeper into some other kind of more nuanced topics within the blog as well. Yeah, um, I think if you're so, you know, that'd be a great place to start termageddon.com on our blog. Um, another great resource is the International Association of Privacy Professionals, IAPP.org. Um, so they have a lot of white papers, um, trackers, as well as a news source. Uh, so they collate all of the privacy news. Um, and there's a lot of them, which can be pretty yeah, overwhelming. It's, yeah, it's but I lot. would recommend heading to their resources tab where they have a lot of these types of resources, which can be very helpful That's as good well. Idea. Yeah, good recommendation. How do you guys at Termageddon stay up to date? Because it seems like it's hard to have like 50 states and other countries, all this stuff. Like, how do you do it? It's me the whole time. It's just me <laughs> doing it. Oh, no. You do literally none of it. <laughs> uh, so a couple different places. So we use a service called LexisNexis StateNet, which is kind of like Google Alerts for bills. Um, so we can set our topics. So like, for example, one of them is privacy policy. 
So whenever a bill is proposed that has that text, um, it sends me alert and then I can track it throughout the legislative cycle. That's a really great resource. Um, I also use the IPP um, as well as Legiscan, which is another bill tracker. Um, and then also um, I keep track of bills through um, help with my colleagues at the American Bar Association and the Chicago Bar Association as well, where we frequently talk about privacy laws. So it comes from a lot of different sources, but the main source of alerts is um, LexisNexis statement. Yeah. And Donata will never share it, but she's the chair of the American Bar Association's e-privacy committee. So 500 privacy attorneys report to her. Um, it's so. a great time. Um, so yeah, we try to work together to stay up to date with all of this stuff because it is a lot to stay up to date yeah, with. It's wild. Could you touch on that point one more time that you made earlier about how to think about location or nexus like if, you know, we live here, but our customers here, how do we know, like they can view our, if they're viewing our website, we don't necessarily need to comply, but if we're actively doing business, what's, can you just explain that? Like, yeah, so it's yeah. called availing yourself of the privilege of doing, um, of doing business or having a connection with a particular state. So if you have a connection to a state, so let's say you have customers that are located there or people from there have submitted their personal information to you. So let's say they submitted their email to an email marketing list and you're actively trying to sell things to them or you're tracking them on your website. So you're collecting their data to track them. Um, that would be sufficient, usually would be considered sufficient um, connection to a particular state. Um, so most privacy laws will apply when you do business in a particular state. So that means you're taking advantage of their infrastructure, their customers, their residents to make money from that. Right. Um, so that's usually a sufficient connection to establish jurisdiction, which means that you could get fined for those particular laws. I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm, you know, I don't care if Europe tries to find me to find me or something like that. And I'm like, why do you want to like live your life where you know you can't travel to a certain part of this world because you, there's a fine out for your business? Like why? Like I think a lot of people try to avoid privacy rights because it's stressful and I get that. But I think there has to be some kind of acceptance eventually um, where people understand that like these regulations are here. If anything, there is a lot more coming. And it's like, for those who embrace it, like what you're going to be doing as a result is respecting your website visitors' privacy rights, demonstrating professionalism, and continuing to offer the same type of marketing and lead generation that you currently have in place. You're just doing it with best practices in mind. So, well, um, actually, yeah. if I can add a yeah, couple yeah, of things please. there. So, fines are not the only tool that regulators have at their disposal. So they can also make you delete the data and anything that you've derived from that data. So let's say I have an email marketing list of 100,000 people and 90,000 of those were obtained in violation of certain privacy laws. Well, they can ask me to delete that 90,000 and I would have to delete it. Um, and then two as well, I think it goes into the idea that um, if you were to sell your business, Right. So a lot of people start a business with the idea that eventually they would sell it and not, you know, work there till their dying day. I know there's some of us that are like that, but others aren't. Um, but, you know, one of the things that the company buying you will do as part of their due diligence is say, hey, were these emails, were these customers obtained legitimately? And if you can't prove that they consented to that, well, then the value of your business goes down as well, because if they're buying 
a list of 10,000 customers, but they can't email any of them, you know, that value then goes there are down. No customers. So that's something yeah. to think about as well. It's a good call. This is great. For those out there listening, if you're thinking, I want to protect my business from fines and lawsuits in 30 minutes with Termageddon, what should they do next? Well, yes, I guess as a salesperson, I'd love to put in a delicious plug to the business. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Termageddon is $99 a year and includes a full set of policies, a cookie policy too, a cookie consent solution, and an end user license agreement. But that tends to not be needed for the typical um, LMS uh, uh, user. Um, $99 a year. Um, I do want to note we exercised our own terms rights and our, um, um, our pricing is changing to $119 a year starting July 1st. So, um, look, if you, if you're meaning to get around policies and you are wanting to get set up with term again, I, then I would recommend checking us out before July 1st, before our price goes up 20 bucks a year. Um, at least your first year will be discounted. Um, yeah, that's how it works. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you. This is so needed. Uh, you know, any serious LMS site needs to have a privacy policy in terms and conditions. It's not really negotiable. I, the worst thing that I see sometimes, I go to somebody's website and those pages have lorem ipsum text on there. Oh boy. And, and, that, and that might be a business that's been going for a while. So this is something to not ignore. Go to termageddon.com, check it out. Hans and Donata, Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate what you've built here. This adds a great service and a great value to the experts and WordPress professionals out there. Um, we'll have to do this again sometime and keep doing what you do and helping us all stay safe from fines and lawsuits. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. Thank Chris. You for thanks so us. much. And thanks for the boat of confidence. Yeah. You know, there's many other solutions out there, but yes, we'd love for you to consider Termageddon. <laughs> Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.